0: Funding for this podcast comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at mathworks.com. I'm going to close my computer.
1: Okay. Is that a good idea? Because you're on, aren't we calling, talking to each other on Slack? On Zoom? Do we lose (laughs) Amory? Oh, Amory.
2: Produced by the
1: iLab
0: at WBUR, Boston.
1: Amory Sievertson.
0: Benjamin Brockman Johnson. (laughs) 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 That's my current mood.
1: Hello, Ben. (laughs) This will work. Okay. You you ready? Yeah. Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. <laughs> oh, um
0: I can't work with that unfortunately. Tell me more.
1: <laughs> Darmok and Gelada Tanagra. Nothing? I got nothing. All right, you're not alone in your confusion because once upon a time the starfleet crew of the Enterprise were also bewildered Amory in a classic Star Trek episode called Darmok.
3: Oh, Darmok. Rai and Jiri at Lunga. Saka, when the walls fell.
4: Well, I actually didn't see Darmok for the first time on TV. I saw it as part of a linguistic anthropology class I was taking in college.
1: This is Madeline Vasily. She is a freelance editor in Minnesota. She is a Darmok fan.
4: Basically, the premise of the episode is that Picard and the Enterprise crew encounter this civilization that completely baffles their universal translator.
1: Okay, Emery, we have talked about this, right? A yes. little bit? Yes, we All have. Right. Okay. And, and you immediately went and watched the episode, I know, several times. Um, nope. <laughs> <laughs> so in the episode, Captain Picard, a.k.a. Patrick Stewart, is on a video call, like a, a Zoom call between ships, with this alien civilization, the Tamarians. Only he can't understand what they are saying. Mr. Dayton. The Tamarian seems to be stating the proper names of individuals and locations. Yes, but what does it all mean? So in this kind of high stakes effort to make a genuine connection uh, between the Enterprise and this Tamarian civilization... um, Captain Picard ends up getting kind of kidnapped by the Tamarians and beamed down to a planet with the Tamarian captain. And Picard can't really tell if the Tamarian leader, you know, in this tête-à-tête, is wanting to kill him or make friends with him. What now, Captain? Will you attack me in my sleep?
4: And eventually Picard comes around to communicate with uh, with this guy that they're trying to communicate with, uh, because as they eventually figure out, the Tamarians speak in references instead of in literal language.
1: That's how you communicate, isn't it? By by citing example, by metaphor. Suketh, so his
0: eyes uncovered. Yes, I'm. I've been <laughs> awoken. <laughs>
1: So when Madeline saw this Star Trek episode in her linguistics class, she thought it was cool. But more like, huh, that's interesting. Cool. And then in 2018, she goes to a copy editors conference. Also very cool. Oh, yeah.
4: So I decided to stop into a session on constructed languages um, by an editor named C. Chapman. And she basically spent an hour talking about how we can go about creating fictional languages.
1: During the Q&A, someone brought up Darmok and the Tamarian language.
4: Everyone else in the audience sort of made this like, oh yeah, like familiar noise, because chances are if you're at a conference attending a presentation about conlangs, you're probably a bit of a nerd and you've probably seen Darmok.
1: Conlangs as in constructed languages?
0: Oh, <laughs> I just thought that was like another Star Trek term. coming in.
1: <laughs> anyway, this led to a giant nerd debate, of course, about the Tamarian language. And then this one guy stands up and he says, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm a linguist. The Tamarian way of speaking references. It's not a great example of a constructed language because.
4: Language doesn't work that way, but memes sure do.
1: Memes. Tamarian is a language of memes, right? Madeline said uh, the room was suddenly overcome with a collective epiphany. Like, wow, did Star Trek really predict memes?
4: I think the reason it made sense is because so often when I see memes used online, they're not used as part of a conversation necessarily. They're used almost in place of a conversation. So instead of someone using a meme... In addition to something that they're saying, they're communicating their response entirely through the meme. And so in that way, saying that memes were like Darmok, it just sort of made natural sense to me.
0: This is brilliant. Yeah. When did this episode come out?
1: 1991. Get out of here. So for today's episode, the final Endless Thread meme season episode, we're going to maybe where no person has gone before (laughs) to challenge everything we've been learning in our season and explode the definition of memes like we're hitting it with pulse cannons from the Starship Enterprise. You you ready? Battle stations? I don't know Star Trek. I'm
0: sorry, but I'm ready. Yes. Let's go. All right. To right. infinity and beat. Nope, wrong reference.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Close enough. I'll take it.
1: All right. Do you want to let everyone know how much you know about what we're talking about today?
0: Um, it's You've referred to it as the mystery episode this whole time that we've been working on this season.
1: Well, so there are reasons we kept this a secret from you, and I think one of the biggest reasons is that I have this theory that I don't think you're gonna like.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Can you give me the most primordial forms of culture? Writing. Okay.
0: Um, spoken language.
1: Okay, getting closer
0: something that comes out of one's mouth. <laughs> yeah,
1: sure. Yeah. Like singing? Yeah. Ah. Music. One of the first forms of culture, I feel like, is music, right? And and my crazy theory is that all music from the beginning of time to right now is just infinite memeing.
0: Mm. Okay. You,
1: okay, you're open. I like it.
0: Yeah, the idea of thinking of it as mimetic is new to my brain, but the whole the the standard um, you know, nothing is original, everything is based on something else. There is referencing something else. That's that's not new to me.
1: Okay, that's our show everyone. Take care. <laughs> um, all right. So, I'm going to explain this for the skeptical listeners out there. We should do a refresher for anyone out there who may have missed the, our previous 9 episodes. Um, we should define meme. Can you, uh, can you define memes?
0: I hope so. Um, (laughs) I would say, if I've learned anything at all, that a meme is a unit of culture or a unit of cultural information in the same way that a gene is a a unit of genetic information. And as that unit of cultural information passes from person to person or is shared from person to person, it evolves in some way. It changes in some way.
1: That's good. Um, So we started with Dharmic, but now uh, on to our next chapter which has in a way a similar name, TikTok. I love talking about TikTok. Yeah. TikTok talk. TikTok talk. <laughs> <laughs> On the clock. So So we haven't talked that much about TikTok in our meme series, but it's it's um can you explain what how how would you explain TikTok?
0: TikTok is a social media platform that is primarily videos that people are sharing, and to me, TikTok is where you go to get weird. It's where you go to show how weird human beings are. And I really <laughs> appreciate that about it.
1: Yeah, me too. And I I think also TikTok as a platform is kind of built for memeing. And music is a big part of the memeing on TikTok. And, and that's because all TikTok videos with music have links at the bottom that lead to that music. So if I want to use it, all I do is click use this sound and I've got the backing track for my next different referential TikTok. Mm. Uh,
3: As far as I'm aware, it's one of the only platforms that has ever existed that really does this. So this is Ryan Broderick. And because of this feature, audio is extremely malleable. Um, So there's lots of remixes. There's lots of screwing with sound and playing with sound and taking different sounds and combining them.
1: So Ryan writes the internet culture newsletter Garbage Day He knows memes big time because in Garbage Day, he is often logging them and explaining them as they appear and get popular online. And one example he gave is of this artist, Bella Porch, who recently released this song called Build-A-Bitch.
3: It's a really weird vibe. And it doesn't really make sense on its own, but it also doesn't need to make sense on its own because it's got like lyrics that are perfect for lip syncing, too. It has like little bass hits that you can cut your video to very clearly. That's kind of all you need now.
1: So Bella Porsche designed her song to be used on TikTok, right? She set out to make meme music in a way. Um, hmm. uh, take my song, lip sync, change it up, do whatever. Um but maybe the clearest example of how TikTok is built for musical memeing is
5: she had not been two weeks from shore, down on her bore, the captain called all So
1: Shanty Talk or Sea Shanty uh, is a meme. It starts with Nathan Evans, the Scottish mailman in his mid-twenties. He's an aspiring musician, and in the final week of 2020. He's really feeling these like weird pandemic life vibes, so he posts a TikTok of himself singing an old sea shanty.
5: I can't then, believe that then, then, then. was the end okay. of
0: 2020. I know.
1: It feels oh. like 20 years ago. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So he doesn't expect much of a response, right? He just kind of like does this thing. He posts it um, and everyone starts doing their own sea shanties. It blows up in part because of this TikTok feature
3: called duets. And it's a pretty cool idea. It's like a quote tweet or a reblog, but a video version. So if I like your video, I can take your video, duet with it, and then add myself to your video or add your video inside my video. And people can get really creative with this. They can add like layers and layers and layers of videos. I've seen some absolutely wild ones that are virtually impossible to describe in audio only because they are just they're they're really <laughs> incredible. Yep.
0: I love it. I I love TikTok. I love the freedom that it gives people to to get creative, and I think the the duetting feature is brilliant, and uh, yeah, I'm all in.
1: All right. I love it. Yeah. I love that you love it. All right. I do. So, so we've reached this point um, with TikTok and other platforms, um, music and video memes, they, they kind of are starting to maybe outshine static memes in some cases. Sea shanties um, are songs, but they're also memes, music as meme. But I know I proposed something bigger, like this idea that all music, the entire library of music from ancient drums and flutes to Lil Nas X, is all a meme. Uh, And we'll get there after the break.
3: mining for a green future five special episodes listen and follow on point wherever you get your podcasts did you kill
0: marlene johnson i think you're one of the first people to have actually asked from wbur and zsp media this is beyond all repair
5: Be careful you're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while do it anyway dig
1: Okay, so Amory, if I had to guess, I know you make beautiful music and I've heard it, and it is truly beautiful, but you're I don't think you do you do samples? Do you use samples in your music making?
0: I don't. Um no, the closest I've come is taking recordings that I've made on my phone and mixing those into some of my tracks. tracks yeah but that's not sampling someone else's work necessarily but it is kind of repurposing something that was made for a totally different reason yeah and incorporating it in
1: that's really cool that's cool that you do that and i i think it's relevant to this part of the conversation um So, I called up this other guy, Jason O'Brien, and he teaches at the Abbey Road Institute in London, clearly Beatles focused in many ways. But Jason teaches young musicians all about music and the technological advances we have created in making that music.
5: The first sampler, really, that was commercially sort of available and successful was an instrument called the Chamberlain.
1: It's named after its inventor, Harry Chamberlain, who wondered if he could make a keyboard play pre-recorded flute sounds and match the pitches with the
5: keys. So he devised uh, an instrument that had a tape loop under every key, um, which would play uh, a recording of the appropriate note on the real instrument. So that instrument developed into the Mellotron, which was a more famous instrument, which was used on the beginning of Strawberry Fields Forever, providing the flute intro to that song.
1: Oh, of course. Classic. Um, So at the beginning, like back in the day, sampling really meant hooking a recording up with a keyboard, right? So the keys would trigger the recording. And if you think about that, you're cutting a piece of sound, right? And then you're like pasting it and you're remixing it. Is this sounding familiar?
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. I'm still with you. (laughs)
1: <laughs> All right. It's close. I almost lost it. No, I, I her. guess.
0: Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm here. S-
1: okay. So then, of course, sampling evolves, right? Um, as a musical art form, instead of making strange keyboard music from a single flute note, people start using more complex samples.
5: Things like Rapper's Delight by the Sugarhill Gang, which sampled Good Times by Sheik mm-hmm. in the early 80s. The bass line. Yeah, but... Can
1: you sing it better than me? <laughs>
5: Yeah, so the bass line goes boom, 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 ba-dum, boom, ba-dum, boom, 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 <laughs> like that.
0: If there was, if we made one of those video podcasts, there would be so many little. You'd see so many little shoulder shimmies coming from me right now. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah. Uh huh.
1: All right, so then sampling evolves again, right? Instead of using a single drum fill or bass line, people start making music entirely comprised of samples. And so one of the first examples, De La Soul's Three Feet High and Rising. Um, there's also the Beastie Boys album, Paul's Boutique, which you probably have heard of. hmm oh, yeah. I look out the window
5: this that album for me was it was a real eye-opener as to what was possible with samplers because up to that point they'd provided an element of a song rather than the entire basis of all the music on an album, which which is what it was. It's it's a it's a kind of masterpiece in the art of sampling, really, that record. So that album feature samples like Sly and the Family Stone. And what that what that album does as well is it doesn't only just it doesn't only loop one idea and repeat it. It goes from idea to idea at kind of rapid pace. So it's mm-hmm. kind of constantly changing. The the drums are changing. The the musical loops are changing. It I guess it's like the Mona Lisa of sampling, if you like.
1: <laughs> so I don't know what I, I mean. Mona Lisa of sampling um, is that's that's a pretty intense statement. But but let's soak this in for a minute, right? Samples are literal cultural units. Mm-hmm that are being spread and, and remixed and recontextualized within other music here, right?
0: Yeah, and if those um, cultural units are made up of all of the cultural units that came before it that allowed that in- information or work of art to be created, then we're, in a sense, like sampling on sampling on sampling on sampling on sampling exponentially,
1: you're smoking what I'm rolling, Amory. <laughs> You're smoking what I'm rolling. Um. So, all right. So let me ask you this. As a music player, are you an ear person? Like, do you learn songs by ear?
0: I'd say more by ear than, than by music. Yeah.
1: What's the earliest song you can remember kind of earing out?
0: Probably something by the Beatles. You know, probably like the interlude in... In my life, the the piano interlude, which actually was played much slower and then was sped up in the recording that you hear. But I wanted to learn it and learn it at the tempo that's on the recording. And that I remember learning by ear.
1: All right. Well, I asked some other cool people this question.
2: The first song I clearly remember doing that with uh, For, How, Where. Um, around, was yeah. around. Those are all of them, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, no, uh, Physical by Olivia Newton-John. Let's mm. get physical. Let's
3: get physical, physical. I wanna get physical.
2: Let's get... I mimicked her tonality, mm-hmm. her, her range and her that soft kind of up there tonality. I remember that one very clearly. I'm sure there were others before that, but... I think that that was kind of uh, definitely my first one.
1: So this Emory is Reggie Watts um, who has like a lot of influences, which he learned from by mimicry uh, people like Olivia Newton, John Ray Charles, the fat boys.
2: And then Michael Winslow uh, from the police Academy movies. He blew me away because oh, he wasn't a beatboxer. It yeah. wasn't really a beatboxer. He does do beatbox stuff, but he's more like a mimic. He's more like a, world machine humans culture mimic guy i tried to walk across the street to the driver's license bureau (laughs) you know and then i was like well because i was always you know obviously when you play as kids and you're you know star wars was big back then for me so you know you'd be playing you know like all these sounds and stuff and I, yeah, as a kid anyways but then like you had Michael Winslow who had like that super high level you know mimicry and I was like oh shit this is whoa this is crazy I, yeah I like how how does he do this and then you know and then I just started practicing when I would hear things like machines I would try to get the right sound the the resonance of it like huh. the friction of like a gear coming to a
1: halt all that stuff So Amory, you know Reggie Watts. Have you do you know of Reggie Watts? He's
0: he like he's the band leader of some. Is it a late night show band or something? Is that why I his I think it's name? James Corden. James Corden. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. And he's like an amazing musician and comedian and. You know, this all sort of makes sense if you listen to Reggie Watts. Like, it's not the traditional throw down a beat it for a rap thing, right? It is music unto itself. It pours out of him. It is based on the things he hears, musical or not.
2: Yeah, I mean, I still do it today. You know, I'm just like walking around going, right. and just like walking around doing my thing. <laughs> and sometimes I don't even notice I'm doing it. <laughs>
1: The other thing worth saying here is that like you Emery, he's not really like an extremely online kind of person Reggie Watts. He is he's not a TikTok god, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are you meme aware? Are you a meme? Are you a meme lord or are you, do you are you a meme lord? <laughs> So to me this made Reggie the perfect person to propose this theory to. And I guess I just wonder what you what you think about that as an idea um that like a lot of music is ma- is like essentially assembled cultural units that are sort of like you know arguably referential to other work consciously or unconsciously.
2: Yeah, I mean you know i guess like thundercats um blood on the blood on the dance floor what was that, what was that oh song? yeah yeah uh, i know no, what but, you're talking about Nobody yeah, yeah. Yeah. when i when i heard that i was like i'm so confused right now because that, that, that like i know that drum beat but that's like um i keep hearing footsteps baby in the night oh in the night That song is, the, that's the beat. Boom, get, boom, get, you know. Boom, boom. So, you know, there's like tons and tons and tons of quotes that are used all the time in music.
1: And even in that example, there's a middle step between Footsteps in the Dark by the Isley Brothers, released in 1977, and Thundercats' 2017 album. Which surely Reggie knows as well, the 1993 song by Ice Cube, A Good Day.
4: Today I didn't even have to use my 8K. I gotta say it was a good day.
1: This stuff is genre and music culture agnostic. Here's something that I really liked recently. It's from a video of Dave Grohl talking with Pharrell about recording Nirvana's Nevermind.
2: I pulled so much stuff from the Gap Band and Cameo and Tony Thompson on every one of those songs. All that. That's old old disco. That's all it is.
1: (laughs) So, Reggie also mentioned Doja Cat, this LA rapper who has this one song, Kiss Me More.
2: There's basically a moment that sounds like um so um, at the end of the the chorus, and uh-huh. it's basically uh, uh, Gwen Stefani. Oh,
1: uh,
2: Hollaback Girl, mixed with uh, two other songs, which Whoa. are just like it's it's its own song. It's not like a it's not like me going like "oh, they totally ripped off," you know. No, it's course. not that at all. And the, and. And the mixture, of it, it just makes this beautiful, amazing, hooky line that makes you feel good in ways that are just beyond the immediate um, form of what it is. So in, in a way, music is kind of like one of the original memes, uh, I mean, meme generators, because, you know, you, you hear these quotes or you hear a texture or you hear a rhythm or you hear a register. There's so many it's a multidimensional equation that's happening and when you hear it it makes you feel all these different ways um differently
1: so we're we're kind of talking about this idea that like music is built on something and that something had to come before And whether it's music theory or a musical influence, um, just focus on influence for a second, right? Like, Ryan, the guy I spoke with about TikTok, he and I were talking about Lil Nas X. And Ryan mentioned that Lil Nas X doesn't actually have a clear genre.
3: He doesn't really have a specific sound. But he was a Barb. He was a Nicki Minaj stan, and so his music—it sounds a lot like what a Nicki Minaj stan would make music sound. You know, that's what it sounds Mm. like.
1: And so let's follow that idea down the rabbit hole because Lil Nas X loves Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj has said that the singer Monica is one of her greatest musical influences. So Monica was a big fan of Whitney Houston, who loved Aretha Franklin, and Aretha's central influence was Clara Ward, and Clara listened to Queen C. Anderson. Queen C came from gospel, gospel from blues, blues from slave work songs, which had rhythms based on African drum beats, which, I mean, Africa is where humans began. The point being, like with internet memes, you can trace the origins of a single piece of music all the way back as far as the documentation exists.
0: This is so fun. This is so fun, and it's also... I'm so glad! Yeah, it's so fun, and, you know, great job. Um, And I I think while this is so fun, it also is kind of like nothing... um,
1: Nothing matters, it's all just cultural reference?
0: Well, kind of, yeah. You know, like, I don't know, I'd say it's equal parts exciting and also kind of like... but. Is anything original then? does anything does anything matter? Will I ever make something original? and and why is that even important to me? Does that matter? Maybe maybe it doesn't matter because we're just here to exist, right?
1: I don't know. no, that's right though. I think that's right. And I think that you know, we've talked about in this season, we've talked about context collapse, right and this idea that yeah. like, you know, for a lot of people, memes, they come from a specific place and the person, like, consuming that meme, like, understands that and is like, oh, yeah, this is from the office or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, over time, the ones that survive the longest are the ones where you don't actually need to understand yeah. anything necessarily about the original to understand the meaning of the latest iteration, right?
0: Yeah, and you know what? This is where... um this is why, and as you know, my appreciation for memes has increased over the the course of the series and over the process of <laughs> from making z- the from series. Zero from to zero to... From zero to... Eh, we're getting there. Um, but <laughs> But one thing I do really appreciate, anytime you're talking about culture in general, is that culture is about a feeling. To me, it's so... Left brain, it's so like just stop thinking about what it is or how it came to be, and doesn't make you feel something. And mm-hmm. by presenting me with a musical example, you have done something great for me, which is that memes and all culture are about a feeling, and that will always be more important to me than knowing something or not is just feeling something. Recognize this, yeah. yeah let's don't stop believing by Journey the Yeah, there's a few more songs in the same chords.
2: Check it out. My life is brilliant. My love is pure. I saw an angel.
1: All right. Well, thank you for um, playing along and, and listening. And, and uh, thanks to all the Endless Thread listeners who have been listening to our meme series and for going on this weird, wild ride with us. I'm a
0: meme. You're a meme. Everywhere a meme meme.
1: Everywhere a meme meme. <laughs>
5: Double rainbow all the
0: Endless Thread is a production of WBUR in Boston.
1: Want early tickets to events, swag, bonus content, photos of Amory's snowshoes, or my cross country ski boots? Join oh. our email list. You can find it at WBUR.org endless thread.
0: Also, we want to know what you think is the most underrated meme. Call us. Yes, pick up the telephone. 857 244 0338. Or you can record a voice memo on your smartphone and email it to EndlessThread at WBUR.org. And we just might feature your voice memo or your suggestion on the show.
1: For example? Hey, this is Holden from Las Vegas, Nevada.
2: I think the single most underrated meme is the uh, coffin dance meme, which is the um, the pal bears from Nana. Uh, I mean, yes, it's kind of tragic. But you see them dancing, holding up the coffin. It's just something that's like very upbeat, very fun. And it's kind of just a a fun way that we kind of handle grief. That's my two cents for that.
0: This episode was produced by Dean Russell, Ben Brock Johnson, and Frank Hernandez. Our series and our show is made by producers Nora Sachs, Dean Russell, and Quincy Walters. We are co-hosted by us, Amory Sievertson.
1: And Ben Brock-Johnson. This episode was edited by Maureen McMurray.
0: Mix and sound design by Matt Reed. Wicker, wicker. Also, check out the songs you heard in this episode, including the one you just heard, Four Chords by Axis of Awesome, at our website, wbur.org slash thread.
1: Really? Wicker, wicker is that your best, that's your best record scratch? Is that the best one That's... you can muster?
0: Hey, the spirit moved me. Would you like to do a better one right now? Let's hear
1: ep, it. You sound like you're malfunctioning. <laughs> Special thanks to an additional production work from Josh Crane, Frank Hernandez, Kristen Torres, Sophie Codner, and Rachel Carlson.
0: Endless Thread is a show about the blurred lines between digital communities and the... <laughs> And the crumbs. You misspelled crumbs, but
1: <laughs> typing on my phone. And the phone. crumbs
0: of the sad cake you baked to celebrate the end of a pandemic that isn't over. Thank you. I keep hearing people saying like now that the pandemic's now over. Now that the
1: pandemic's over.
0: It's not, people. Alright, if you've got an untold history, an unsolved mystery, or a wild story from the internet that you want us to tell. Hit us up. Email thread at wbur.org and send us a picture of that sad cake.
1: Yeah, send us some crumbs. We're a couple of crumb bums.
3: <laughs> All Bye! Right. That's <laughs>